Hello, welcome to the Create Tragics podcast. This is episode two, and tonight I'm joined by Alex Cameron and the infamous Jeffrey Fredo Fredrickson. We're going to be covering the first Ashes test, getting into a new segment called Confusions of a Clubby, and we'll also be looking at what's been happening in this cricketing week. Alex, how are we, mate? Welcome this evening. Kick us off, buddy. Tell us about Test Match Recall. Yes, Josh, thank you. Welcome to the new segment, Test Match Recall. It's basically a way for me to test you guys also to see how much cricket you actually watched of the first Test Match. I, of course, watched almost every ball. And through the questions, hopefully we'll be able to discuss some pretty interesting things that happen. There has to be some sort of measurement here to see if you guys actually win or I win. I'm the Test Master. So you've got to get... 50% of these questions correct in order to win. So there, I've got six six questions here, so you've got to get at least three right. Anyway, let's get into it. It was a great test match. Australia, of course, got over the line with a great partnership between uh, Nathan Lyon and Pat Cummins at the end there. Defeating Basball, perhaps um, locating a chink in the armour. The first question here is, and you guys are working together on this, is there were seven 50-plus scores in the test match. Uh, which players scored them? Well, Ozzy. Ozzy got one of them. Yeah. Root. Root got one, didn't he? So far, so good. 100 counts as a 50 by default. Is that, is that these are the rules? Uh, 50, well, 50 plus. It's 50, 50 plus. Okay, so yeah, I believe 50 100 plus. is still greater than 50. Uh, yeah. Easier, important clarifications. <laughs> Did Smith get 100? Yeah, Smithy got 100 in the first innings. Who? Who? Smithy. Have you guys been transported back in time to the... Oh, you're right. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I didn't think he got that in the... He got in the World Test Championship and not got that. Confusing Test matches. Okay. I know. Adrian, so, yeah, you got three. How many How many was there all up? Six. So far, you've got Usman Khawaja and uh, Joe Root. Okay, so Alex Carey. And you got one. I feel like there was another POM in there somewhere. Well, I mean, I feel like you guys are not doing too well, so I'll give you a clue. There's at least two more POMs in that. <laughs> it goes to show how much I don't care about the POM. <laughs> <laughs> so far, you've got Joe Root, Khawaja, and Alex Carey. Carey. Did Head score a 50 plus? Head did score a 50. Yeah. Did he? Not a 50 plus, actually. Actually, that's an interesting one I should have clarified. He didn't actually score a 50 plus. He scored a 50, but that's I'm including that in this. Uh, so there's two more. The other two that you haven't got are uh, English. Was it Crawley? Yes, Zach Crawley scored a 50 in the first innings. I remember that he hit a boundary off the first ball of the Ashes. Just, do I get like half a point for that? <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe just a, a bit of respect from me. I'm going to go out and live. I'm going to say Moen Alley is the other one. I got a 50. No, I think you got 40. Do we watch the same match? No? You got a 40. <laughs> Shots fired. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep. Come on, Josh. I got my still. It's, there's another English batter that I'm forgetting. Oh, Johnny Besto. Besto. Johnny Besto. So you've done fairly well. We've got six so far. Um, <laughs> well. I, feel, I feel like we just totally crash and burn. Uh, so you've actually only listed six people, but what you forgot to mention was Usman Khawaja's got two 50-plus scores. He got 100 in the first innings and 60 in the second. I suppose this leads him to talk about Usman Khawaja's game. It was a great game for him. He really toughed it out early on in that match in the first innings. And it was interesting to, to listen to the commentators talking about him as he was batting because I often take the tone of the, of the commentators as kosher, and they were sort of talking about him in, in the sense that he really seems like he's, you know, not on top of this. He's struggling. And they kept sort of saying that until he got past his 50. Of course, he went on to get 140, but he sort of played the whole the same game the whole time. He did extremely well. And I think that 
even the 140 in the first innings being important, the 60 in the second was mm. perhaps even more important. Okay. You're going with more important on the second one. I feel like oh, in the look. first innings, Australia were three for not many, and it was crucial innings because Australia could have capitulated in the but no. what Kawaja did, just just out of patience and decision making and shot selection, he he just weathered all storms. I, I think the the perfect thing there was he just wore the bowlers down. Yeah. You've got you've got a bowling attack that's got aging bowlers, and you've just he's just worn down. He's pretty much done the opposite of what baseball is. Like has just well, it's, it's test cricket. <laughs> Agreed. And I think Osma Kawaja's innings was the defining innings of the entire test. And he did it in the old-fashioned way. Mm. And one of the things that I noticed between the, the periods where I was asleep and awake being <laughs> in Australia, <laughs> I was surprised by the attacking shots that he played. Mm. For instance, the few pull shots that he played, some of them weren't really short. But I think he had decided about when he wanted to accelerate the scoring. And there were a lot of balls that he was choosing not to play aggressively that he probably could have, but he decided not to. And he was good enough when the match mm. situation dictated to hit the balls to the areas of the field that he wanted to, even though they weren't the ideal ball to hit those shots. All right, guys, we'll move on to the second question. Um, this will be a quick one. How many maidens did Australia ball in their first innings? I'm going to go with 12 maidens. Uh, Fredo? How many overs did they ball? Not many. 70-something? Yeah. yeah, probably 10. Yeah, I immediately regret my decision thinking. What was that? Slow over rates, right? So they bowled 78 overs in the first innings. Ten. Who said 10? You said 10, right? I said 10, yeah. So you're closer because there was two maidens. The first maiden was in the 37th over uh, bowled by Josh Hazelwood, and the second maiden was in the 72nd bowled by Nathan mm-hmm. Lyon. This is mostly a product of Pat Cummins putting the field back from essentially first over. I think there were people on the boundary. In Ollie Robinson's column, you know, he was talking a little bit about how oh, we've got Australia on the back foot. You know, we're surprised with how negative they're being. There, and there was a lot of criticism from commentators, and but it seemed to have worked. Did it though? Yeah. I, I remember it. feeling quite frustrated in the first innings about Australia's defensive field settings and wondering whether that was the right way to go. I guess this is what always happens. Whatever team wins the game, all of the captaincy decisions become perfect. And the team who loses, their decisions become the wrong ones, even though the game went right down to the wire. And if Ben Mm. Stokes holds on to that ball that Nathan Lyon hits to him at square leg, then all of his decisions become the correct ones. The headlines are very different in the papers the next day, right? Yeah, exactly. Even though Australia got the win, a little bit disappointed with very defensive fields. I think uh, Cummins combated that well, though, because if he brought them all in and started attacking them, trying to set an attacking field against attacking play, they're just going to hit over the top. Yeah. I agree with you in the sense that, okay, they've de- decided to go for a defensive field, and maybe in the first test, there's a little bit of unknown around how are the English batters going to bat with this baseball style. The old-fashioned thing is look at hundreds of hours of video on each batsman before the test, and then have a plan for how you think you're going to dismiss that batsman and then set attacking fields to those wicket-taking areas. Maybe Australia just wanted to play a bit of a wait-and-see game and see what happens. And yes, if they did go with more attacking fields, there is a risk that they would have leaked more runs. I think that's a good point. And I think that it'd be interesting to see the fields that Pat Cummins sets if the pitch isn't an absolute road. If there's more bounce, more swing, more movement off the pitch, then perhaps he won't be as defensive. Okay, guys, so 
Zero from two so far. Um, <laughs> I've got all of these opinions, but can't answer a question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Maybe we should change the rules that unless you get everything wrong, I lose. <laughs> um, okay, this is an interesting one. So Australia chased down 281 to win in this test, which was their highest successful total since 2017. I'm not saying necessarily that there was a higher one before, which is at 2017. This is just the data I have. It starts from 2017. Uh, what is the second highest? And obviously, I can't get you to, to pick the number, but I'm going to give you... Uh, a, B, C, D. Between 50 and 100, between 100 and 150, between 150 and 200, and between 200 and 250. So we're going in units of 50 runs here, starting from 50 upwards. Damn it, this game's so complicated. I reckon I know the answer, though. I reckon it's between okay. 150 and 200. 150, 200. Actually, you're going to be very surprised. It's between 50 and 100. The, really? Um, yeah, well, yes. see, I thought I was going a low estimate there. <laughs> no, I mean, I was very surprised when I, when I saw this. So the second highest total that they have chased down was 93 runs against India in Adelaide. The second time India beat Australia in terms of the series, Australia, of course, won that match, which is an interesting stat, especially considering um, England have chased down 300 at least once against India. And uh, I, I think thought this uh, was the signature of baseball, right? They want to bat last because it's like short form cricket that you can <laughs> chase anything if you know what the run rate required is. Mm -hmm. It just helps with pacing. Is this a thing like with the T20 cricket? We've gone through a long period where if you win the toss, you choose to chase, which has flipped the cricketing world on its head because growing up as a kid, I was drilled into my brain that win the toss, bat first is the only way to play cricket. My point is, I guess, like T20 cricket, all of a sudden everyone's like, no, no, we want to bat second because we know we could go at 10s or 12s, but it's mm -hmm. about how much risk you're taking. If you bat in the first innings, it's like, well, how many runs is there in this outfield and in this deck? Yeah. Are we taking too much risk by going at 10s and 12s from over number one? Are we hitting a par score here? Are we above par? Are we, are we below? The, the team batting second don't have to think about anything like that. They've got no choice. Yeah. They, they see what the run rate they know is. Target. And unless you are our Lord MS Dhoni and you could just, you're freakishly good enough to just take the game deep, most teams are like, no, let's, we, we've got to hit this run rate. And, Teams are starting to win a lot more games by chasing. And that this is the key thing that I thought was part of baseball, where that the English team were like, no, we prefer to chase in the fourth innings because we feel like we've got the players to do it and just give us whatever conditions and we'll go for it. Yet they didn't do that. They didn't bat. They didn't. Yeah. They, yeah it's been a real curveball. And they, curve de and they declare, they declare yeah. under 400. Yeah. That was weird. So there's uh, there's layers to this thing, I guess, right? It's not all mm. just about, okay, we just got the Maverick batters to chase whatever in the final innings. It's also mm. about aggressive captaincy decisions, aggressive declarations to try and get a result in the game. Like, I really love Ben Stokes, and I think that's his captaincy. As much as, like, Brendan McCullum has been given all the credit, I think that if Ben Stokes wasn't the captain and you had Joe Root, this baseball thing wouldn't be working out because it's the whole package, not just aggressive batting on its own. That's a lot to cog together and get to work all as one day. Yeah. A lot of risk. I think that yeah, while that's all, all true, back to the, the stat at hand, I just think it's very interesting that Australia have really struggled to chase down things in the fourth innings. I would say that's an issue. There was a lot of talk about, you know, finally we have won a test match that's close. 
And what people were referring to there was a lot of things like uh, 2005 um, when uh, Bradley and who was it Caswich uh, almost got a, got home with two runs to get. They lost that match. Uh, there's the 2004 Eden Gardens. Well, that wasn't really a close match. It was just an epic match where India followed on, uh, were made to follow on and then won the test. Um, there was the the previous Ashes in, in England where we lost uh, when Ben Stokes played that amazing innings and so there are a whole lot of uh test matches in fact some of my favorite test matches are test matches that australia have lost maybe there's something in that australia is very good at winning matches comfortably i think it was famously said by um, andrew flintoff that what australia does is when they get on top of you they just keep kicking you and kicking you into the into the ground and i think we're really good at winning those types of test matches but you know we've seemed to have struggled when the matches are a little bit closer all right, guys. So I think we're running a little bit behind. So I might just go to the last questions. So Usman Khawaja currently has 15 Test match centuries. He was brought back into the Australian team in January last year for the Ashes in Sydney, I believe. Mm-hmm. How many Test match hundreds did he have before that game? I'm going to say nine. And he's hit six. Okay. Since. okay. He's hit six since. Fredo, uh, what do you think? Eight. Oh, Fredo, you got it, mate. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. it, was, <laughs> it was it was eight. Um, he of course scored two against England. Then he scored two different uh, hundreds in Pakistan in that series. So 195 against uh, South Africa. Then he of course scored 180 in India in the maybe in the first Test match. Anyway, it was one of the Test matches. And then of course he's just scored 100 recently. Yep. So well done, Fredo. Um, so yeah, the emergence of Usman Khawaja. He's having the um, He's doing amazingly, and the only thing I think about is his age. But at the same time, you know, he could be sort of like a, a Jimmy Anderson batting into his 40s. That would be lovely. All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, indulging me in my, my new segment, Touch Match Recall. Um, I think you guys did pretty well in terms of entertainment. In terms of the scores, not so much. Not so much. Um, saying you guys are dumb, but it was funny to laugh <laughs> at you. Was that what... I, I oh, I mean... I hope the audience enjoyed it anyway. This segment's called Confusions of a Clubby. It's yours truly, thinking about cricket and then dreaming up all sorts of weird and wacky ideas about what's happening at the moment. How could we go past what's happened with Ollie Robinson? It's the talk of the town, and so I feel like it would be remiss if we didn't cover it. So... Here's the background. In the first test, as we talked about, Usman Khawaja hit a match-defining 140. He was dismissed by Ollie Robinson. And just to set it up a little bit, Ben Stokes set a really unusual field. It was a, a fan type of field in front of Square, and they were trying to change up Usman Khawaja's stroke play to tempt him into playing a different type of shot. And it worked. He tried to guide one down to third man, and Ollie Robinson bowled a full ball, which knocked out his off stump. So as Ollie Robinson and the English have celebrated, Ollie has continued through his follow-through down towards the batsman, put on his best war face right in front of Usman Kawaja, who was walking past him on the way to the pavilion, and screamed out, F you, you effing so-and-so. And so, of course, modern-day TV coverage has captured this in detail. There are close-ups of his war face and didn't have to be a very good lip-reader to work out what he said. It sent the media into a spin. 
every man and his dog has come out with opinions. Aussie ex-cricketers have weighed in with heavy support for Usman Kawaja. Ollie Robinson, whether he was told to do it or not, was in the press conference for the end of the day and he made no apologies and he actually doubled down and said, well, you know, this is a heat of the moment incident and if you can't handle a bit of that, what can you handle? So, of course, we've got a landscape where Aussie fans are condemning it and then the English are back in their boy. They've largely remained silent. I haven't heard Ben Stokes make any comment on it, but Ollie has continued to double down and has even been starting to write his own column in Wisdom Cricket, and it's really exploded. And and to me, it comes down to a couple of talking points. The first one is, does this type of thing have a place in cricket? And what's the line between abuse and sledging? And the other part of it is, is it good or bad for the game? Is, Is this something that is deteriorating cricket? Or is this something that builds on the legend of Ash's drama and controversy? So maybe to start off, I'll go to both of you guys and give you a minute to just consider what I've said. What do you reckon, Alex? What is your impressions of this incident? Um, okay, Josh. Um, I suppose, you, yeah, uh, you, see, you seem to be thinking about it in, I suppose, yeah, ways that I didn't really consider, like, is this good or bad for the game? I'm not sure. I mean, I think I'm a person who, when I play cricket, at my age, um, I'm not really a big fan of sledging in the sort of games we play because for the most part, I just want to go out and have a good time. But let's go back to the specifically what happened. It was after Usman Khawaja got out and after he scored 140. So I think that it's sort of a desperate action in, in a sense. Like uh, It was almost like a relief, that sort of release of pressure. That's what came out. And so... Uh, you said before, if we had have lost the test match, every decision that Pat Cummins made would have been a bad one, but we won the test match. And so everything he did is a good one. And in the same sense here, if we have lost the test match, perhaps we would have had a different opinion about this and we would have been much more upset. But I suppose what I've noticed more about it, um, and I'm sorry I haven't really answered your question there, but what struck me most about it was there are a lot of English tabloids and people in, in the media that are saying, oh, look at Look at the Australians, you know, they can give it, but they they can't take it. But I don't know, but that was even before any Australian seemed to have commented on it. It was almost like sort of like a, um, oh, we know they're going to say this, so we'll just get in before they say, any, say anything and accuse them of being hypocrites. But at the same time, I'm just surprised that no former Australian cricketer can let anything go through the keeper. They all have to have a, have a go at it. And Usman Kawaja seems to have been the coolest character out of all he didn't i mean he had a go at um at robinson in the second innings but i think he's not too troubled by it uh pat cummins is definitely not too troubled by it and nathan lyon isn't is, is not troubled by being called a, a tail ender and i was so, i was gonna ask you about the nathan Lyon quote that came out yeah because, i saw that yeah because ollie robinson part of his doubling down on this incident he'd made the comment about oh well australia's got three number 11s coming and, from a number 11 <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and Nathan Lyon did respond to that. And and you're right, it doesn't seem like any of the current Australian players have come back with an aggressive response to, to, to what has happened in this incident. It's all been past players. And I have a little bit of a theory about why I think that has happened. And I'm going to relate it to one of my own cricket experiences to try and explain this. Obviously, I think the first reason is because it's just team sport and you you back your own man, right? The ex-Aussie cricketers who have come out to to heavily back Uzi and condemn Molly Robinson 
surprise, surprise, we got Hados, we got Langer, we got Ponting, all members of a very dominant Australian team that was regarded as one of the most aggressive front foot teams. So I've got no surprise there. But the reason why I think that the current Aussie team is a little bit quiet, and particularly Uzi, is because I think he probably feels quite satisfied with the situation. I've played in a game where I've been batting and a bowler has bowled a short ball, hit it well, hit a boundary. But I've looked back at the bowler and there's been a little bit of eye contact after I've hit the ball. And the <laughs> bowler has, and I, I didn't even do it on purpose, but it just what happened. And then the bowler has, has taken that as a challenge, like this bloke's belted me and then stared at me. And so the next ball he's run in, and to his credit, he's bowled a really good ball on about fifth stump and it's whizzed past and I've like seen it and left the ball. It's gone through to the keeper. And then the bowler has followed right through, right up to me. And he said, F and cross bat that one now, mate. Like, you know, where's your cross bat shot now? As if to say, you know, you're a filthy, filthy hacker. And I tell you, it was one of the most satisfying things that happened to me in cricket ever because <laughs> – if a bowler's following through and he's mouthing off at you, you know that you're on top. Oh, you're on him. Any bowler that is on top of you doesn't need to do that. That's why I think the current Aussie team have not been too vocal about it. They just go back to the sheds and be like, that's an enormous win. So it's all well and good having a send-off, like when you got Manus out for a duck and they were they were G'd up, like Broad was just like, he was pumped and fair enough. But when a batsman's hit you for 140, Show the guy a bit of respect yeah. and go, well batted, mate. You batted really well. I'm glad I fucking got you out because, shit, I didn't want to stay out here for another another 60-odd runs of you. All good. Getting him out for a duck. You're like, fuck yeah. Like, got him out for a duck. Take that. But when someone smacked you around the park for 140 runs, I think it's a little bit below the belt when you're coming up to him and telling him to fuck off to the sheds. Like, I think the best quote that I saw there was, I think might have been um, Clark. Um, oh, yeah. He said, "Like, yeah, he hasn't got the the was it the backing to hasn't got the runs on the board. Hasn't got the runs street. on the board. Unlike um, Anderson, who's got a bit of street cred, he should just yeah. learn to shut his trap. Like, until you, until you've been there for a little while, don't don't start mouthing off until you've proven yourself. Yeah, and look, I, I love it actually. I love it that there's been this bit of." drama in the test series it is giving the media something to really blow it up you know and and get a lot of attention on the ashes i don't think this is a new thing i like to think about merv hughes for instance right how many times did he get to the end of his run and tell a batter to f off like <laughs> many times yeah but there wasn't many like times. stump mics back then mate Exactly, exactly. And this is the point in Confusions of a Club that I really want to get to. The, the key point and an idea I've had for a while is around the way that cricket is presented. Of course, there is the issue of abusing and all the kids at home are watching the Ashes, right? They're mm. aspiring to be professional cricketers. It's not mm. great. It's not a great example for them. But I, one thing that I did notice that I liked out of that whole incident was that when it happened in the telecast, they had a high shot which panned back. And the English players were celebrating. And it was after immediately after Uzi had walked off. And Joe Root had run over to congratulate Ollie. But then he had he had stopped and actually walked back and congratulated Uzi Kawaja as he was walking off the field. And so in that moment, you had the raw aggression of the test, but then also a nice gesture from Joe Root to Uzi Kawaja had exactly the same time as, as Ollie Robinson was calling him an F and whatever. And I like that. And I think that there is this opportunity in broadcasting 
for there to be as an adults only telecast of the cricket. All of the stump mics are turned up. You can hear everything. You've got all of the close-up facials. You hear all the sledging because how much would we enjoy that? I would love to hear someone standing in the gully saying, hey, mate, your shirt's not iron today. What's going on? Like like trying to get in the back. Like some of the stuff that Payne used to do. Yeah, and it just... When India were in Australia and you've got Crash Craddock on the side of the field going, oh, I really think that Tim Payne's got the balance between banter and sledging, right? You know, he's in their ears, but he didn't say anything offensive. Mate, I was throwing up into my shirt. I was like, this is this is ridiculous. My idea is, okay, you have one telecast, which is adults only, and and then you've got your free-to-air version of the cricket, which is for the kids at home. You're not getting the close-up facial angles. All the stump mics are turned off. And it's more of your old school type of Tony Gregg, Bill Laurie, Chibeno chatting you through the day. A bit more heavy on the statistics, that sort of thing. I think that that is a model that could work. I think that's a really interesting idea. And it makes me think about, um, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with ice hockey. I know that there's a particular player in ice hockey whose job it is just to fight. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm just like, they they come out and they just, they're not even, yeah. I don't know, they're not even really very good at, they're uh, shit. The rest they of the game, shit at hockey, and they just, they just, they're out there to just punch on. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. that's the job, and and it's a, it's not sort of like this is a, a real position that the that they they have. And I thought, you know, Josh, this adults only channel, this, you know, could people start to be selected based on the the quality of their banter? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, could, you know, Look, in thinking- terms. Of- it's a part of the game, right? And we're, I, Alex, you mentioned before, like your approach to playing, even the, the, the top of cricket that we play as middle-aged blokes in low-grade grade cricket, you want to show up and have fun on the day. I, I'm yep. the type of cricketer that when I bat, I, I want to be combative because I perform yep. better. And so like that, you know, the bowlers are the enemy and I am trying to get over the top of this and it helps me focus. Mm. I, I think, okay, so that's, that's a good point about the whole um, well, the adults only thing. But I think there is a really art like really good art of a banter that doesn't cross that line like telling someone to fuck off when you've just got you got to be imaginative like as as a keeper and someone's behind the stumps and always in someone's ear and you've just got to be like you're just looking for that little reaction just to get them off their game it's all about like i think the the best one that i heard from pain was sitting there and i think i don't know who he was talking to but he's like what do you think about Cole? You can't like him as a person, surely. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just just that, and you get that that reaction of the batsman going, "Well, what?" Like, it, yeah. it just takes you off. Like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, really? Like, yeah. I think yeah, there's a. I, lo- I love the non-cricketing related sledges too, right? Like, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, and he, I think there was another one there where he was talking about a, uh, one of the Indians used to babysit for him when he was playing over in in the in the IPL. Like, yeah, it's a Richard Pant uh, yeah. sledge about. Yeah, you want to babysit for me? Yeah, 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 you want to babysit for me? Like something that's got nothing to do with them on the ground at the time, yeah. but it's just yeah. that little bit of a reaction that you can get from the batsman just goes a long way. And it's it's about having that tasteful sledge that just gets people. And I think that is what has been missing and like you said with root coming over before and talking to kwaja and congratulating him on the on the runs that he scored and then you got ollie sitting there abusing him it goes to show that maturity that root has compared to ollie and i think that we need to start bringing back more of the root sort of side of things 
where it's got that respect, but then also you can get a little bit of that banter going as well, like bring a bit more of that Tim Payne in, but have that root aspect where I think that the fuck off to the pavilion, mate, was just shit. Yeah. That's not really necessary. That's right. And it's a sledge that doesn't have an influence on the outcome of the game because the outcome for Kawaj has already decided he's already out. If a bowler runs through and bowls a good short ball and it whizzes past the batter's nose and Mm. then he follows through and goes, mate, you're a whatever, then that actually has a lot more impact because it's it's throwing the icing on top of the intimidation that the bowlers Mm. are dished up and and it may have an influence on the outcome of the game. Whereas Ollie Robinson's sledge was like, well, okay, he was he's missed one and he's lost his stumps. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you swear at him now or not, it's not exactly. going to change the scoreboard. So yeah. it's a that's that's an interesting point I think you make as well yeah. around the, the timing of the yeah. you, know, you choose to, to I, I think it just shows the maturity of the of the player really. Yeah, but I think I mean you guys have gone past the I think the gold idea is that you know at this at the moment in test cricket, we often have substitute fielders on the on the field going out there to field. I think that those people should be selected on the basis of banter. Like, we should, if we could get Rod... And their ability to throw runouts in, te- in Ashes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really mean <laughs> right. I mean, like, they could be, as I said, you know, get Rodney Roode uh, in shape and, and send him out to first slip and, and say, look, mate, don't matter, doesn't matter if you drop one, but if you can really get in this guy's ear, that would be a real help to us. Yeah, Roy, Roy and HG, bloody sledges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just put Roy at Roy and HG at like uh, you know, hiding behind the keeper and in between balls he just comes out and has a word to the to the batter and then the old twelve man the series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, look, it's an underestimated part of the game. I think cricket cricket primarily is a psychological game. It's about maintaining concentration for, for long periods of time. It's, mm-hmm. yes, it's a skill based game, but I think it's sixty percent psychology. 30% skills-based and 10% a bit of fitness on the end, depending on what you do. Of course, if you're a bowler, you have to have a high level of fitness. But, yes, it is a game where there are big pauses in the play while you're setting up for the next delivery, and it makes sense to me that there is verbal interaction between the two teams during those times. I mm-hmm. think it is part of cricket, and I would hate to see that disappear. I've seen an interview with Alan Border where he said that in his combative mindset – was when he performed the best. And so what he used to do to get himself into the game, he would pick a fielder and be, and start sledging him just to create some combative air during the gameplay. And then he would go into siege mentality and that would be his way to dig in. I would hate to see that style of player go out of the game. I feel like that when I'm batting. Other guys in, the, in our team, if they like to talk to and have a joke and laugh with the fielders, which is their technique, and it's their way of relieving the pressure off themselves so that mm. and to calm their own nerves, to release themselves of the consequence of making one mistake, meaning that you're going to sit down for the rest of the day, which is what batting is is about. And so that has a place as well. Like I think everyone has their own psychological method of how they're going to to survive. I'd hate to think that there'd be some approaches that that had no place anymore. All right, lads, before we wrap it up, we've got another segment called This Cricketing Week. And in this segment, we throw up something interesting that's caught your eye. Alex, hit me. Yeah, so um, Josh, we all carefully watching the TV for the, the men's ashes, the first test there. And I continued that a couple of days later watching the women's test. And I was very impressed with Sophie Eccleston. 
She's a left-arm finger spinner from England. Uh, she got 10 wickets for the match, five in each innings, and she really put it on a dime for the whole game. It was very entertaining to watch. Even on a pitch that wasn't doing a lot on the first day, and, and a lot of, I think even the Australian spinners were not able to get an awful lot out of, um, they they didn't bowl until sort of day two. But she was getting to rip from very early on, and she bowled. I was just checking the stats here. She's bowled almost eighty overs over the match, and with the lowest economy rate, I think, in both innings for England. Yes, by a long way. You know, she has an economy rate of about about two two uh, two point two per over, which I think is incredible. Very impressive to uh, to see. Um, and if you're interested, we have a newsletter um, titled This Cricket Week. And I put some highlights up there for you guys to see about how she bowled. It was amazing. On top of that, um, there was Tasman Beaumont, who got a 200, making her the second woman to have scored 100 in all formats of the game, uh, which was amazing. And of course, Elise Perry got 99, very sadly. But she's still averaging about 75, so that's fine. Thanks, Alex. Awesome. Fredo, hit me. Uh, look, I, I was pretty interested to hear that uh, Zimbabwe is actually doing pretty bloody well in the, uh, I think it's the ODI qualifier for that last two positions, I think it is, in the in the 12 teams that get into the one-day uh, World Cup. I think they're versed and they're in a little little competition at the moment. I think, it, is it in Zimbabwe? Yes. Yeah, is. I think yeah. the qualifiers being played in Africa. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. so I think there's like USA, Ireland, West Indies, there's about, um, I forget if it's 10 or 12 teams. I think yeah. there's 10 teams and they are doing a round robin mm. with groups yeah. of five and then the top three go into the next round, but only yeah. two teams get out. Yeah. yeah, so I think there's, there's Nepal there as well, Netherlands. So, I mean, Zimbabwe came out to Australia there a year ago or two years ago and they versed in a couple of one-day one day games. And they actually did pretty well considering, I think, did they even beat us in one game? Yeah, they, they won a game. They won a game as well. Mm-hmm. So I think they're doing bloody well. They beat the West Indies. Not to say that the West Indies have been playing fantastically, but I think that's a pretty good result for them to get back into if they can get into the World Cup final. Good bloody on them. Like, yeah. That's a, a good little cherry for the sport, really. Yeah, yeah I hear. I'm excited good. about resurgence of Zimbabwean cricket. I think it's yeah. fantastic. Cricket being strong in Africa is mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon it's a big thing. And the the crowd there was amazing. It was I was watching when they played the the, the finish of the West Indies game. They were pumped. It was packed out, and they were so into it. I, I agree with both of you. It's so nice to see Zimbabwe, especially mm. all the tur- turmoil they've been through, to have a really good cricketing team. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Good plus for the sport. Yep. Nice. Well, boys, the one thing that I've noticed in cricket this week, and it is the the latest episode of Bluey. Uh, (laughs) It's a kids TV show that you can see on the ABC. I'm a real newcomer to the show because I'm a middle-aged man, no kids. But what I've learned in the last week is that Blue is a massive TV show. And even these, it's got a really big following. I had not really paid a lot of attention until they made an episode about cricket. And so when I watched it, I was incredibly impressed by it. And I've since become a bit of a Bluey fan. I've started to watch other episodes as well. And I'll tell you why. You're hooked. Yeah, I am a little bit hooked. And I'm a little bit concerned because I feel like I'm not the target audience and maybe there's something wrong with me. But but I'm just enjoying it for what it is. And I'll tell you what, Bluey is that they have seven-minute episodes and the amount of thematic content that they can fit into seven minutes, it's incredible. It's incredible. Half the time it's for the parents, mate. 
yeah, I feel like it's it's great viewing for adults as well. I'll tell you what, I, I watched, what is it, uh, that um, the Titanic, right? Yeah. And James Cameron had three hours that for people to sit through of all this character development and then when Jack falls off the raft and, like, dies in the freezing water at the end, I could not give a stuff. <laughs> I do not care, snore, this is boring. But I'll tell you what, in seven minutes of watching Bluey, I'm a blabbering mess. Uh, I watch it. I'm like, I'm, I'm tearing up. I'm like, it's I agree with me in all statement. sorts of areas. Because yeah, I, I rewatched it the other day. I was sitting at home and I was like, oh, oh Bluey, you were talking about Bluey in the chat. I was like, oh, I'll watch that Bluey episode again. I watched it. I was like, shit, this is a good episode. I've seen it. I think I've watched it about three or four times. The thing that I loved about it the most is that the majority of cricket that gets played globally is not at the elite level. It's backyard cricket. It's grade cricket. And then like what Alex mentioned before, we're, we're low-grade cricketers and a lot of what motivates us to play cricket is to spend time with our friends and go and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the key messages that came through in the Bluey episode. Bluey, the main character or the dog in the show, throws up a question to one of the adults early saying, why are we playing cricket? It's just about hitting the ball around the grass. And the parent says, oh, cricket's about so much more than that. And they managed to capture it in seven minutes of storytelling, so many aspects of it, the central character, Rusty, and his little sister, Dusty, and his relationship with her, how he's teaching her about cricket while he's pursuing his own ambitions and aspects of sportsmanship came into it and aspects of family came into it. They cover this topic, which I thought was so brilliant, and it's what all young cricketers go through. It's the graduation from playing with a soft ball, a tennis ball, to a hard ball, a cricket ball. And literally every cricketer goes through that, and there is an element of fear involved because when a real cricket ball hits you, it hurts a lot. And so it's a rite of passage for cricketers. And this episode of Bluey, they just cover it so beautifully. And there are scenes where the narrator starts to explain, oh, Rusty's fear is fast bowling, and they zoom in the the facial expression of Rusty and the concerned look on his face. It just took me straight back to, to when I was going through that and being like, well, hold on, like we got to play with the big boys now. You could get hurt. And I love it that they got that in the episode because it's a rite of passage that all cricketers go through. I just want to add to that, coming from my own experience, i got an older brother who's six years older than me and yeah. we had a slightly sloping backyard. It was probably a bit under the 22 yards, whatever it was, and he was one of the opening bowlers in his school team. And I remember we had a cork cricket ball and I swear they were harder than leather cricket balls because I used to get padded up in not the softer pads that we wear today, the ones with the buckles. They had buckles, yeah, I remember this. Not, yeah. not bloody Velcro. And he used to come steaming in and I used to get absolutely, there's no thigh pads. <laughs> we had that many tufts of grass in our backyard and I got pumped by him. It <laughs> freaking hurt when he hit me with, that, with those cricket balls and they were cork. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys ever played the court cricket balls, like the they're almost yeah, like bloody bits of like concrete that were coming out. Yeah. yeah, bouncy concrete. And like you said, getting someone bowling in with quick balls like that, far out, that's scary yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, I definitely went through a period as a junior being afraid of a short ball. It's a huge psychological hurdle to get past, and it's not easy. Like in your case, Fredo, you, baptism of fire, someone's been peppering you with a hard ball, and at some point you've got to take some balls on the body and, mm-hmm. and survive through it and be like, well, okay, yes, it hurts, but it's not the end of the world. And then the final thing, and I'll wrap it up soon, that I want to talk about is the personal part of it. There's a beautiful part in the episode where um, – 
Rusty's father is away serving overseas and he sends a letter and it's a letter of support the end. It deals with this issue about overcoming his fear. And as a kid growing up, like pretty much all the cricketing skills that I learned and many lessons about life were passed on to me by my father through the vehicle of cricket. My dad's words echoing in my ears around cricket is a game about life. You're going, you think you're going out there to play sport, but this is going to teach you about all yeah. sorts of stuff. It's not just about watching the ball, keeping your elbow off. It's, it's, it's going to teach you all these lessons. And, I, and so I love that they had that in the episode because it rang true with me and, and reminded me of those words of advice from my father about playing cricket and about developing as a person. All right, guys. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, everything that we went over today. I hope you will join us next week. Um, you can find us on the socials on Instagram under Cricket Ragics. And if you're interested, I'll put the link to our new cricket newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you next week. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Fredo. See you later. Yeah.